See, I think that I would be a good scout because I see things that other people don't see until later on. Um, and I just don't know what to call them, <laughs> but I'll be like, there's this thing that he did with his hand where he pulls it like up and under all the time. And then he goes down low really fast. And then like, there'll be like some name for it and everybody will act like I'm an idiot. Cause I didn't know what the name was. And I'm like, yes, that's the thing that you need to counteract by doing it this way. Like I have the perfect way to guard Zach Collins. So this is how you guard Zach Collins and we're going because I'm on a roll with this. Um, so welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. Anyway, with Zach Collins, the way to guard him is to stand over him and just not budge because he he's not, you know, throwing guys who are on his back off of him, but he's like doing pump fakes and he's doing to the right, to the left. He's like hesitating over and over and he just does it until they move and then he goes the other way. So you just have to be balanced. You just have to be um uh, determined and just not move and like put your arms like you can't do it around him obviously but just get as big as possible and then if you don't move like he's just going to keep going up like trying to throw a ball up into a tree with a bunch of branches hanging over you which is kind of funny because that's exactly what carl anthony towns did to him he caught the ball in the corner and he had the open shot and then he decided to pump fake and then he didn't go and then he put the tried to put the ball on the floor and go by cat and he lost it out of bounds and that was like the one bad moment that zach had all night and i was like that's a learning experience. Hopefully he learns from that. <laughs> but you're right. It, it's exactly it. Like, it, it, the, the, the young fella is, is growing up a ton uh, over these last couple of weeks. And it's been, in a weird way, it's been kind of fun to watch the maturation process. It's not weird, Dan. We're all enjoying it. This is just the first time you've ever <laughs> experienced the pleasure of it. No, it's not fun at all. Like, I, I've, I've always said that I think he could be a good, solid rotation player. But I, I'm... The, the one thing I will caveat with this, he's uh, he's showing growth and learning things and, like, showing them, like, his actual growth in-game in a lot of areas, uh, particularly shooting the ball. And I think that's where you see the wildest deviations, like, between good Zach and bad Zach, which I think that'll come. But, yeah, I, I think he's shooting a lot better this year than he was last year. Oh, God, yeah. It, it, for, we talked about this in the offseason. With, with Zach and his shooting, everything is about his base. Like, if he has his base set and he's stepping into a shot... I have no problem with him taking the shot if it's an, if it's an open look. Um, but it's when, when he starts doing the other stuff, that's when I'm like, eh, let's okay. That, yeah. I was going to very cleverly avoid talking about Zach Collins all night because I didn't want to get into uh, more of me being super positive and you being, eh. and you know, we just, I think we're, I don't think we're far apart. It's just our approach to talking about him is probably getting a little wearisome <laughs> to, to the people who listen to the podcast. But, by Yang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are are we Yin and Yang? I was trying to. Th- I was actually thinking about that today because I was listening to a bunch of um, Dolly Parton duets because she sings a lot of really great duets, and I was thinking, who are we more, Dan? Are we more like um, like Captain and Tennille or Donnie and Marie? Uh, oil and water. <laughs> I think we're Donnie M and Ree because I'm a little bit country and you're a little bit rock and roll. Okay. okay. I was going to say like Metallica and symphony. No, cause I'm not the symphony at all. That's way too refined. Or were you insinuating that you are the symphony? Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> well, Hey, let's talk about the blazers. The blazers had a super busy week. They had five games in seven days, four of which they won. I mean, that's a great week. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was a super, super busy week, and it all kind of blends together for me now. Well, uh, so I'm not sure if you heard, though. You know, so the Blazers had five games in seven nights. I'm not sure if you heard, but <laughs> the Pelicans were on a back-to-back. Uh, see, this is where I love the fact <laughs> that when I am sequestered away watching a game, I have the truck feed, and I don't have to hear the broadcasters. I got enough of it, people, like, saying it during the, like, through Twitter. Like, okay, okay. apparently it's getting really bad. Well, you didn't have to experience it, and I lived through it. And for anybody who missed what happened, uh, it was a TNT broadcast, and every, oh, approximately 27 to 44 seconds, they would say, well, the Pelicans are on the second night of a back-to-back. And then, and then, like, every minute or so, they would remind us that Anthony Davis was out. And basically, like, it's like somebody sent, gave them notes for the game. Number one, Pelicans are on a back-to-back. Number two, Anthony Davis is out. And that was, like, all the notes Number they got two. in preparation for the entire game. So I've got a little story about that, Anthony Davis being out. So being able to have the truck feed, I get a little peek behind the curtain. Um with mics on the court and cameras on Anthony Davis was going to go. He was literally like up and he was on the lineup ready to go warming up <clears throat> and the cameras picked up him and drew and Tim Frazier talking and they were all trying to hide it. Uh, AD <laughs> Better had, not do that in front of a microphone with Dan listening <laughs> in, I guess. Um, AD had his hoodie up. So I was, I was reading Drew's lips and drew kept asking him, are you going to go? Are you going to go? And 80s kind of miming back and forth. And you can see Tim kind of throw his head back. Like, oh, no. And AD pulled his, his cover down off. And he says, I, I tried to give it a go. They said no. So oh, the team is actually the one that held him out of that. He was going to go. Like, it, it was literally a last-second thing. This wasn't some ploy. He was going to play. But the team doctors told him no. That is that is so hard for the. That's got to be hard for the team. I mean, I know that like they wouldn't be in the NBA if they didn't have a certain amount of mental toughness. But like, still, not knowing whether or not you're going to have your big star has got to be really hard, uh, night in and night out. I mean, the Blazers haven't had um, Mo Harkless, and have you heard anything about tomorrow night? Anything he's, definitive yeah. about he's the out. Bucks game? Yeah, he's he's, he's he is out for tomorrow for sure. And He's I'm definitely glad, okay. I'm glad the Blazers have finally opted to stop messing with this. Right. Uh, yeah. Just let him heal. Just this get. I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but I don't think Mo's the kind of guy. He's never had a, like an injury like this. He doesn't know what the limits are. He doesn't know what he's going to feel like in the morning. Like, knee injuries are crappy. Like, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you know. Oh, yeah, we're not going to go. If, okay, if anybody has their bingo card that says Dan's knees on it, go ahead and fill it in right but, now. But I, I get where, like, he wants to go. He doesn't need to go. The Blazers need to shut him down until they figure out what's wrong and he gets back to 100%. Like, that's, right. that's the end of it. Stop. Stop. Well, we could no. No minutes restrictions, no nothing. Get him healthy, work him back in, then go. Right, and wait till he's confident. I mean, because they're doing okay right now, and I don't think it's a situation where they, like, you know, everybody was saying in Boston, like, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do when Gordon Hayward comes back? How are they possibly going to work everybody back into the lineup? Like, that's not the situation (laughs) that Portland is looking at right now. Right now we want Harkless to be healthy and well and confident when he steps out on the court, and they're doing okay without him right now. Doesn't mean we want to go the whole year without him because they do probably do better with him, 
but they're holding they're holding their own there, and they're definitely keeping their heads above water. Yeah, and let's because we don't do it often. Let's go ahead and give Jake Lehman his his props here. Yeah, he's he's only playing 14 minutes a night, but he's given him five points. He's given him a couple of rebounds. He's given him a, a back cut and a dunk. He's playing passable defense. Like he's shooting 44 percent from three, Tara. Yeah, he's shooting. Yeah, he comes in four. Like he he's doing things when he gets the ball. Right. He's he's filling the the need that they have for him right now and he's doing it really well. And do you think that it might lead to more minutes or do you think that it's probably a situation like you've called it before, like the Noah Vonley situation where he starts the first, he starts the third, and um and you know, those numbers those numbers never really grow, but they're consistent and they're always there. I think with Harkless out for certain he's gonna get the Vonley treatment, but the the room is there for growth. So mm-hmm. I think the opportunity, like if he has a good game, like if he if he comes out in the first quarter and, and plays really well, I think you could see him stay on the floor for an extra couple minutes. Yeah, I, but and again, especially if Mo is out. Exactly. Um, that that dynamic probably changes once Mo comes back. But if Layman does keep performing in this role, I, I think that Stotts is probably going to, when Mo does come back, opt to keep Mo coming off the bench because I, I think the starters are starting to find their groove. Yeah, um, and I think and we've talked about this before. I think Layman it fits in with the starters better right now than Mo does. Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about also Mo fitting in really well with the bench. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we should rehash all of the games that already happened because you already talked uh, before and after every single one of them, <laughs> and it's probably like you said all running together to you. But I want to know how you're feeling about the uh, about the loss to the Lakers. Okay, so the, the, I, I'm treating that game like in two different parts. The first, second, and fourth quarters are different than the third quarter. I don't know what the hell happened at halftime, but they just, like, they, they forgot how to basketball for a quarter. Like, it, everything was sloppy. The, the Blazers did? The Blazers did. The ball mm-hmm. stopped. Everybody stopped moving on offense. They allowed the Lakers to capitalize and transition. You know, like, good on them for getting back in the game in a sense, but it never should have had to come to that. That, that, that's, that, that right there is, is last year's team. Mm-hmm. What we've seen so far this year is that they've handled business. Like they, They've messed around here or there, but for the most part, they've handled business. That should Do you want me to remind you of the Washington game again? Again, for the most part, <laughs> handled business. The Washington game is going to go down probably as the, as the worst game of the season. As far as yeah. Like okay, I have a theory on that. My theory on that is that was Washington's last gasp. That was their like last like okay we're gonna we're gonna give it our all one last time before we completely just implode and so the Blazers got them like on their best like that was all they had to, that was the most they had to give the Wizards won all that year out of spite <laughs> like I'm not gonna go into specifics but I give it two weeks before either a coach is fired or a trade demand comes through in Washington. Right. That's well, I don't think that's really exactly a hot take from anybody who's watching what's going on in Washington. You know, there's there's certain locker rooms who are disasters right now, and uh, Washington is right up there. So is, of course, the Timberwolves. As bad as Minnesota is, Washington's locker room is more toxic because they're acting like things aren't wrong. Right. Well, uh, so do they know? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody thinks that there's nothing wrong in Washington. Um, the The Open Floor Globe did an excellent discussion on it today, or the Open Floor podcast did an excellent discussion on it today. They they asked the they posed the question: If you were a rookie, which team would you rather be the end of the bench rookie on this year? 
Washington, Minnesota, or the Cavaliers? <laughs> probably, probably Cleveland, because you might get some burn in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, well, but, you know, now all the vets are saying that, you know, they don't like the rookies and Kyle Korver's been betrayed and, oh, it's it's all drama. But let's get back to the Blazers because I actually do have a theory on what happened in the Laker game. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of this game can be um, the Lakers should be thanking the national media for because all day on Friday, the whole, all the headlines, all the stories were about how Luke Walton's in trouble. Luke Walton had Magic Johnson yelling at him and Magic and Luke Walton's job is in jeopardy. And, you know, whenever those rumors start flying, the team always puts it together to play for their coach. Yeah. So I think that was a large part of it, too. <clears throat> it's not quite the coaches getting fired bump, but there was there was definitely a... a, a it was the coach about to get fired bump. Yeah. Even whether or not it was true, it was this, you know, the rumor and, the and you know, them hearing it and addressing it by saying, come on, you know, coach, we're going to go out and, and win one for the coach. So, but I've, I've recovered from that one. I measure the losses in terms of how many Hallmark movies I need to watch before I feel better. And that was like a one and a half. Like, I mean, I don't watch them all in a row like over a couple of days like if there's a really bad game i'll like in the fourth quarter i'll be like okay what movie am i gonna queue up to watch (laughs) to take the taste out of this out of my mouth the the one thing that i got out of that game because i'm a miserable man is that lonzo ball continues to be one of the worst basketball players i've ever seen against a particular team he is so ineffective against damian Lillard and the blazers that it just I think it reinforces the, my my take that I don't think he's ever going to do anything against this team or in the league. <laughs> um, but that game, I mean. I completely I, forgot about Lonzo Ball. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot he was even there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's really easy to do that because in that game, as a starter, played 19 minutes. He was one for six, had three rebounds, three assists, and was on that team in that game. Doing next to nothing, he was a minus 16. Now, on the flip side of that was Rondo, who absolutely ate Portland alive. Right. Actually, I think uh, mind games were a big part of it, too. I mean, they were the the Lakers were just pulling out all the stops in terms of just like Rondo just going on. He was so classic Rondo. I mean, it's almost it's terrible, but it's also almost kind of fun when he goes classic Rondo, because then you just really have something to overcome, like to unite and be against when he's acting like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's like takes on the villain role. And I I don't know. I just think it's kind of fun. to. It's got to be kind of fun to be the guy who goes into the opposite building and is comfortable doing that oh yeah no he's gonna be that guy for life yeah let's transition to the bounce back game though against the timberwolves <laughs> timberwolves played one quarter of passable basketball the first quarter they did not score more than 19 points in the remaining three quarters i feel so bad for them i don't even really know what, See, what to is, say this is where we differ because we, we've talked about this stuff off off air but we won't go into it but i i don't i don't feel bad for them because they kind of knew what they had then they sat on it, they ignored it, they placated it, and then it blew up in their face. Yeah, I think that uh, all, my piece is that, that it's Tom Thibodeau shoulders a huge amount of the blame for not being able to get that team acting and running like a team because, after all, he is the coach and the GM, and he should have been able to figure it out. He's had a, uh, He's in his third year now. He should have had it figured out by now, and I think the players are suffering because of it. This is why coaches shouldn't be GMs. Yeah, I think we've all, I think we've pretty much come to that conclusion. 
We had a question, which I want to bring up. Um, this is from Debrain on Twitter. And I am convinced that Debrain is the burner account for somebody that I know, but I don't know who. So someday I'm going to figure out who Debrain is. It's probably your burner account, oh, actually. Oh, I, am, I am no no burner accounts allowed. I bet it's you. Anyway, Debrain sent in two questions. Uh, one of them was actually about a tweet that I did this morning because I discovered that ESPN has both – uh, uh, Nick Stauskas and Seth Curry in the wrong uniforms. So when you go to the ESPN site, it says that they play for Portland, but they're in their, in their Brooklyn and Dallas uniforms. And so I did what I always do, which is I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to point it out and be like, hey, ESPN, these guys are in the wrong uniform. And DeBrain wants to know why I think that's important. It's important because they need to be in the right uniform. I don't know how much clearer I can get than that, Right. Yeah, I mean they they take these photos, <laughs> they take these headshots from media day for they can they can they can Photoshop them in. They only have to Photoshop them in. Like they have access to that to that photo gallery. Like every team yeah, shares it. But they could also just. I mean, they, there's a there's a number of things that they could do, and they know on you know they knew like July one for Stauskas. I, I just I think all the websites should hire me to be an intern, and over the summer I will um, be in charge of updating all of the photos for like the major websites, especially when they like pull from each other. Because a couple of years ago, like the Trailblazers app was pulling from the NBA site, and the NBA site was really late a couple of years ago, like until. Um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, they still hadn't updated stuff. So, like, Ed Davis was stuck in a Laker uniform forever. Um, but the pull, but the pull, the Trailblazers app was pulling in these out-of-date pictures. So you're in the Trailblazer app, and you're looking at a bunch of guys who are wearing, like, a bunch of different uniforms, and you're like, what is this? So that is why it is important to me. But the question that I think <laughs> will be important to you is, which is the biggest early season disappointment? Chief, <clears throat> that was my editorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth, Chief, other. I feel it's CJ. Man has his fame and game. Oh, man has his fame and game both plateaued. He still can't quite get himself to, to commit to add driving to the bucket and seems to float a lot more than a max player should. So, who's your biggest disappointment? Is it CJ? And then let's talk about CJ because we need to have this talk. Okay. Well, before we get to CJ, I, I'm. Probably going to shock you here and say the more disappointing player so far has been Emilio. <gasps> Dan. Uh, okay. So tell me. The reason I'm going to go there is because he had, he had been uh, over the last few years at least a semi-reliable threat from three. Um, his three-point attempts are down. His percentage is down. He's shooting 28 percent. He's better this year on twos. He's actually hit a couple mid-range jumpers and he's gotten to the rim. But on the flip side of this. His defense, I think, has been better, and he's a career high in rebounds. Like, so he's making up for it on that end. So I'd say that, based on expectation, like in the starting lineup, I, I, I really want to put, put this on everybody except for really Dame and Nurkic to an extent. But those guys have been more as a group disappointing than I think than anything else. But let's let's get on to CJ because there's a couple points there that that you want to touch. Um, hold on, just a minute. Mm-hmm. We're not just walking off of Aminu, of you saying that you're disappointed in Aminu. Um, I totally get that I wish that he was making more shots. I am right there with you. I wish that he was making more shots. 
But Aminu is a low-usage, high-value player, and would you like to play without Aminu? No, no. I mean, look at him on – I mean, like, if if we're just looking at, like, how many points he's scoring, yes, I wish he was scoring more. He's, uh, again, one of those guys who's mercurial. He has these super great games, and then he has these, oh, just let's just move on and pretend that one never happened, you know, one for ten in opening night, right? But then he has other games where he's absolutely fine. Um, Unfortunately, like you said, it's not quite enough to always demand the attention of the other teams, but he's added actually a reliable drive. I mean, the other night when he bobbled it, that was like the first time in a while that he'd actually had that much of a bobble on a drive. Is is when he's he's going on the drive because he's not really hitting much outside of 10 feet right now. He's, like I said, a couple of mid-range jumpers and um, but mostly it's been on dunks and his, his usage rate is actually the lowest of his career right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's low usage, high value. You know how much we're paying him? Like $7 million hey, or I, not me. I they there's the second most valuable production player in the league. It's like non-rookie. Like the only other guy who's out there who performs better than his contract regularly is Jay Crowder. Like that's, that's it. Like Aminu's production to salary ratio is about as good as it gets in the NBA for non-stars and non and non-rookie deals. Well, I'm just clarifying that he is certainly not a disappointment to me. And it's not a complete disappointment. The team's seven and three right now, Tara. Like when we're picking things apart, throw out the the Miami game because it was just a complete dumpster fire. They've had one other game where they played like crap, and that was the the Wizards game, where they just failed to execute. The Wizards game was a quarter. Like th- this team is is playing better than I expected them to play this season by far. Well, they're certainly fun to watch. Well, let's talk about CJ. I interrupted you, but when you were just about ready to get started on CJ. So go ahead. You have the floor. Okay, so let's start with the overarching high-level stuff with CJ. So I've been digging into this over the last couple days because I'm going to end up probably writing about this weekend um, just to kind of get into it some more. CJ's play-type data is pretty drastically different than it's been in the past. Now, this stems from the no longer... Um, staggering a minute between Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Last year, C.J. would go out at five-minute mark, six-minute mark of the first quarter, come back in, take over the bench. And he would be the primary facilitator, primary scorer, and that's when he would really kind of you know get in his groove. He'd get in his bag. Last year, he 33%. A third of his plays, Tara, came out of the pick and roll. Right now, he's at 22%. Oh, that's a big drop. That's a significant change. And he's going more into dribble handoffs. Now, it may not sound that different between a pick and roll and dribble handoff, but what the dribble handoff is meant to do more often than not is to get the uh, receiver of the handoff going downhill. That works very well for Damian Lillard because he goes downhill and he attacks the rim. When CJ does that, he typically kind of rounds the corner and then dribbles the ball. But Because when he goes downhill... He hasn't been a finisher at the rim. He hasn't been real consistent. He's trying to add that to his game. Mm-hmm. And even though he's driving less, like one less a game right now, his field goal percentage is actually up. And he's getting more free throws. Right now, he's at a career-high free throw rate. It's still subpar, but he's trying. And he's trying, Jennifer. That, that, that just kind of... <laughs> it pretty much sums it up. <laughs> and that's, that really, it does, because... He doesn't have the requisite resume of a guy who attacks the rim, and he's not being rewarded at all. Yeah, 
And you have to build that up. They don't just be like, oh, this is, they don't like look at their watches and go, let's see, year five, time for CJ to start hitting the rim. Okay, let's start giving him those calls. Yeah. And when you, when you change his role within the offense, because now he's, when he's on the floor, he's the clear number two. Yeah. Unless he's really got it going, Dane is still the guy. Yeah. Um, I, that's one of the things, that's what I was looking up is that, um, how much he's been handling the ball uh, and what position he's been playing. So last year, he, this is according to basketball reference, he was playing port, point guard 9% of the time. He was shooting guard 83% of the time. And then, you know, for like 9% of the time, he was a small forward. So this year, they have him down as 0% of the time point guard, 58% shooting guard, and 42% small forward. I mean, that's a big change in his role. And not just, not just that. Even though he was playing the two last year with the bench with Shabazz Napier at the point, CJ was still initiating the offense for, for long stretches. That's just mm-hmm. not the case right now. Like mm-hmm. if you just if you look at his possession data, if you look at his touches, his touches, he's getting eleven less touches a game. Now, granted, he's playing less minutes, and this is a good thing. Damian and CJ not playing thirty-eight minutes a night is a good thing. They don't have to play that. Um, but on top of that. His dribbles per touch has been cut in half. So he's really yes, he he was at almost four and a half dribbles last year. This year he's at two two and a quarter. Wow, I mean that's like a whole change to his style because yeah. you know he used to need to get work up a little head of steam with his dribbles. His final possession per possession has been cut in half, or excuse me, it's, it's, it's been dropped fifty almost fifty percent. His his uh, average time of possession last year was four and a half seconds. This year, it's just under three. Wow. So, I mean, he's significantly changed how he's approaching the game. Not like not just like what his role is, but like how long he has the ball and where he's going with it and how he's, uh, you know, uh, hand, well, handing it off now between him and the other players. And like the whole time I've been watching CJ this year and people have been like, why is CJ, you know, shooting so poorly or whatever? And I just like, I'm not worried about it. And I've been trying to figure out, like, um, why I'm not worried about it. Because over the last couple of years. You, you know what kind of player he is. You know how efficient he can be. And, and here's the thing. Jason wrote, wrote about this at The Athletic. He, he wrote about CJ and, and his changing role. And this is, comes with a little asterisk, a little caveat on it. But basically he said, I'm happy, you know, as long as we're winning. Mm-hmm. That... Evan Turner's running the offense. That's what you guys always say. Yeah. I mean, as long as Evan Turner's running the second unit efficiently and effectively, and that unit, that bench unit, with the exception of one game this season, has been one of the top five benches in the league. So, yeah, it's been a a success so far. If CJ's numbers suffer a little bit until he kind of figures out exactly where he's going to get his, that's okay. Now, the asterisk, the caveat there is if the Blazers start losing, Mm -hmm. will he be happy with the way the offense is going? Even if the offense is still humming along, all of a sudden, if they if they stack up a few losses here or there, will he still be okay with how things are going for him personally? I see. So yeah, okay, I get where you're going with that. Yeah, I just i I don't feel like it's just like he's in a shooting slump. I feel like he's completely about, changing how he, he's approaching things. Yeah, and and I was looking at things that had changed a lot from. Uh, you know, year to year, I don't have access to the same data that you do. But one thing that I uh, did look into 
were like was he being contested more i mean is you know is it like are people getting that much closer to him or or what's going on there and one thing that um did stand out was that really close to the basket in um uh, tightly contested and contested shots his um rate has plummeted i can't, i don't have him pulled up he anymore how to finish in traffic as opposed to going to that in-between game that floater yeah he's, he's trying the rim yeah, right now he's he trying to create that contact and like you said he's not getting called for it yet but like he's throwing himself into those situations yep. where he's gonna be tightly contested and like right now he's a, a career high it's gonna be hard <laughs> he's taking a career high percentage of shots at the rim right now mm-hmm. but the problem with this is he is really bad at the rim right now like mm-hmm. i'm struggling to come up with somebody off the top of my head who's been this bad at the rim in, in a while and that that's what's really hurting him. For, for anybody who wants to know he's shooting 37 percent at the mm-hmm. rim like it's it's not good um he's got to figure out how to finish in traffic and i think the game that highlights this the most and, and i think th- this is why i'm comfortable with him learning this or figuring this out because he's got that that ability to change gears he hit the shot over carl anthony towns against uh in the timberwolves game where he drove the lane and he went to that off foot or, or left-footed left-handed kind of floater runner right at the rim Mm-hmm. Remember that shot? No. Okay. Well, he, he attacked, but continue. He attacked on the left hand side, and he he kind of half euro step, but he, he okay did a, I can uh, picture it now. Did a Damian Lillard, James Harden like um, change of pace to get mm-hmm. the defender off balance, and then he finished in traffic, and that was like, oh, there it is. He's he's finding his spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's got to learn how to do that because going in deeper in, in into the trees. For a guy who's not crazy athletic, you you have to figure out, you know, the timing. Hassan mm-hmm. Whiteside, going back to the game I was talking about, that that game for CJ was a nightmare. He he forced CJ to change his shot or change his dribble or pick up and then jump in the air and kick the, the a pass out off a shot numerous times in that game because he was just throwing CJ's timing off because it's it's a different feel. When you go a, a, one more step in, when you go three more feet in, and I, I just have faith that he's going to be able to figure this out. I do too. And you know what else I just realized is different is that this year when the, especially with that second unit, when they don't have a good look, they send it back. You know, they don't do what what would happen last year is if nobody could get a look, CJ would end up with the ball and dribble it until he could get himself a shot and then he would take a shot. And he was pretty good at that, which is great. And we're all thankful for that. But this year, if, you know, Stouts gets, gets the ball, if Curry gets the ball, if somebody gets the ball and they didn't get that open shot that they wanted, they just dish it back out to Turner or whoever is handling the ball at the time. And then they start they start it over again. Um, so CJ doesn't have as many of those, like, oh God, the shot clock is winding down and the ball's in my hand and I don't see anywhere else to go. So I'm just going to make something happen. Yeah. You're, you're not having those pop up as often. Mm, No, not at all. Um, and And that's what makes it fun to watch. Like it's fun to watch this year. Yeah. CJ is, I think is the, is the biggest question mark right now, as far as like continued production. Um, I, I think Stalsis is going to calm down shooting-wise. I think Collins is going to calm down shooting-wise because both of them started off so hot. There's just, there's just no way to keep that going. 
Um, or we could say we hope that it does keep going. No, because that would, we could put it, it out there into the universe that we would like it to keep going. No, that's NBA record type stuff. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Not with that attitude. It's no. not going to happen. Come on, Dan. I, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, but the, uh, I thought you loved excellence. Yeah, I do. But there's also this, 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 this you don't believe excellence in reality. Yeah, reality's overrated. <laughs> but like the the sustained production, I think it, like the idea of CJ coming around and, and really kind of putting it together over a course of games is going to come. But with the with the bench guys, I think that you're getting to the point where like and here's the other thing like we, we, as good as the bench has been, we haven't even seen a good Seth Curry game. Right. Yeah. Like there's still a lot of room for growth within that unit itself. And we're getting yeah. production of guys like Caleb and out of Myers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, that that's just going to kind of keep, you know, night in, night out. Somebody new is going to step up. And, yeah. and as long as, again, going back to this whole idea, as long as the Blazers keep winning, CJ can continue to kind of work on his and pick his spots here or there and find his place. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about CJ. I really do want Seth to have a nice game. I really, I think that will, that will change the momentum for him. As soon as he has that nice game, he'll feel more comfortable and he'll be able to continue it. But he's got to have that breakthrough game. I think you talked about that earlier in the preseason. Yeah. Waiting for that one breakthrough game. Give it, give it a month. But I, I thought that the Timberwolves game, when, when it was a blowout fashion, I really wanted Stock to let Curry get out there. Mm. Like, like play the whole fourth quarter. Like, yeah. Kind of work himself into a lather, run the offense. He wasn't having a great game. He probably just wanted to sit down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> With his family there and everything. I was like, oh, I feel bad for that. Well, do you want to move on and talk about the the upcoming games and then wrap it up? Yeah, let's do that. Because Okay, the Bucks. I just did the preview for the Bucks. Oh, my gosh. Let's, I kind of love them this year. Kind of, yeah. I mean, not as much as the Blazers, obviously. But um, they actually remind me. Okay, don't get all I'm freaked gonna- out about this. They remind me of their approach reminds me of the Blazers approach because I was I was reading up about Budenholzer and how he's taken this team. Not that the Blazers weren't in great shape, you know, I mean, you know, before not that they didn't have, you know, good coaches previous um, in the Bucks. It was maybe a little bit different situation. But anyway, he's trying to teach them how to be consistent and he's teaching them something and he wants them to learn it. And like the other night when they were finally losing a game, like he didn't for a long time change what they were doing because he wanted them to learn the things that they were practicing. And so he didn't change to try to win the game. He he wanted them to do it the right way. And that reminds me of all the years that we've just watched the Blazers do the same uh, defensive things over and over and over again and not be successful. And then all of a sudden they figured out how to make it work. So they have all this incredible talent and now they have a good coach who is corralling all of that and teaching them how to be focused and make it all work. And they are lo and behold, figuring out that, Oh, if we take all these three point shots and send all these people, get all these three point shooters, Giannis suddenly has even more space to play around in the lane. (laughs) Yeah. So they're doing it, they're doing it right, and I'm super excited that like they've kind of risen up in the East. I'm really excited for them, but not tomorrow night. Yeah. So this is going to be the Blazers easily their biggest test of the season so far. Um, I, I love that I'm optimistic and feeling good about this season, but this game terrifies me. 
Oh yeah. I mean, how how do they how do they hand? I mean, we've already oh. seen what happens. I mean, of course, Anthony Davis missed the last game, but we did see Anthony Davis during the playoffs, and Giannis is the other player that I just think He's how do teams defend? <laughs> um, they don't. That's that's the thing is you you don't you you try but you can't you won't it doesn't happen like I, I, there's a reason why I, I picked him to win MVP there's a reason why I put money down on it um, this this man is on another level right now he's averaging 26 14 rebounds 14 <laughs> rebounds a game and six assists and a block and a half and a steal and a half and he's shooting 54 percent from the field now he's still struggling from three. But his two-point percentage is damn near 60%. Mm-hmm. That's insane, Tara. Yeah, well, and now he has more room to operate, you know? And here's, like, <laughs> I, I got to get my coach kid slander in because I love Jason Kidd as a player. But as a coach... <sighs> he did not do them any he favors. Was, like, he is he set them back years, actually, yeah. I think. Yeah, because, I mean, he's... It was probably fun. ...level Hall of Fame, like, as far as, as, far as just being a bad coach. Just not good. Uh, the offense he wanted to run was like a four corners offense with no movement. When you have probably the most dynamic, I, I, I'm, I'm de- I've debated this around with a few people, and I, I think I'm falling on that Giannis is the most dynamic athlete in the history of the NBA. Like, wow, what do you what do you define as dynamic? Size, length, explosion, first step, verticality, changing directions. The only guy who comes close to him is or that, that I think is in the discussion is LeBron. And the reason I, I shifted to Giannis, and because it, it's, it's always been LeBron for me, Giannis is a is a is not just a physical freak from like his athleticism standpoint. I, I don't know how much you've seen of them this year. Giannis put on a ton of weight. Like Giannis is, he, over the summer, he got his grown man body. Mm-hmm. And it is terrifying. He, I'm so glad they're in the East and we only have to play them twice. Yeah, because I mean, their length is a nightmare. And now going into this game, I, I, what I want to see the Blazers do is put Aminu on an island. If Giannis roasts him, Giannis roasts him. That's just you live with Giannis getting his. Do mm-hmm. not let these guys shoot. They took 56 threes against the Kings, Tara. that's because boston took 55 against them the night before (laughs) do not help and let these guys shoot stay within your shell make Giannis a shooter wall off stay on shooters and just build from there be a very very basic defense so you just let Giannis go i mean he's gonna go to the go i mean so so i guess my question is and this is something i think about a lot why do teams decide to let one player just go off rather than do everything they can to try to make it so that that player just never gets the ball? You, you can't you can't deny the ball in today's NBA. That's the biggest problem because of the rules. Because of the rules right now, there's you, just too many rules you, to make it. You can't okay. hand check. You can't chuck cutters. You can't bump on screens. Yeah, you can't even push movers now. No, you cannot impede movement right now. The freedom of movement stuff. If you do that, you will put this Bucks team to the line relentlessly. Okay. And you just don't want to do that. Um, because it, now you, if you get in the penalty and you get Giannis going downhill at you, now you're, now you're really screwed. Because mm-hmm. now you get, you get to rotate early. You got to help early when you have to help early. Guys like Brogdon and Middleton, Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Oyasova, freaking Dante DiVincenzo. John Henson's hitting threes, Tara. 
Like everybody on this team is hitting threes right now. Pack mm-hmm. fastballs out there taking three threes a game. He's shooting 42% in three. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's go down the list here. These are the guys. We, we really don't need to enumerate this. I get the point. <laughs> These are the guys on their team shooting 40% or better from three this year. Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, who's at 49%, Urson Uyasova, Tony Snell, John Henson, Pat Connaughton. They have six guys shooting, excuse me, and Delavadova. They have but, seven guys, Tara, that are shooting. Okay, but that's going to. That's going to go back to the mean. They're not going to continue to do that this whole time. That's the thing is, though, all these guys are shooters. And if you help off of them, like Pat Connaughton, like, I don't think anybody here is going to be surprised if Pat shoots 40% three for the season. Is anybody going to be really that surprised? Chris Middleton's a hell of a shooter. Malcolm Brogdon has been a consistent shooter his whole career. Uh, Brooke Lopez has added to his game, and he's probably their, their lowest percentage three-point shooter right now, and he's actually been good over the last couple of years. Uh, Ilya Sova's made a career out of being a 3-and-D a, a guy. Like, they have a plethora of guys who will kill you from outside, and this team is built perfectly to play off of Giannis. Think of, like, a supersized version of the bench unit the Blazers employ with Evan Turner in the middle. Just take a bigger, stronger, more gifted, more athletic person in the middle with four better shooters around him, and that's the Bucks right now. So how does the Buck, how does the Blazers bench stack up against the Bucks bench? This is going to be the toughest bench they're going to play all season. Okay. The, the, uh, well, the Jazz are probably right, right there, too. And that's, that's the early season bench. Um, okay. Um, so you get Tony Snell, who's a two-way player. John Henson, two-way player. Pat Connaughton, two-way player. Thon Maker, two-way player. Like, there isn't a guy on this team, save maybe Brooke Lopez and, to an extent, Eric Bledsoe, who isn't a two-way guy. And they could all beat you off the bounce. Or, in Brooke Lopez's case, instead of beating you off the bounce, he could still put in work in the post. You think it's possible uh, Stotts has a trick or two up its sleeve? Yeah, but I don't know how tricky you want to try to get with these guys. I think it's better to stay in your shell, be in your base defense, um, fight over screens when Giannis isn't involved, go under screen when Giannis is involved, and stay at home. Uh, I think they might need to just go Rondo. They just need to. I was I was thinking about that. Like, who would be the Rondo on on the Blazers? I mean, they think they just need to get in their heads. I guess it's kind of Evan Turner. Nurkic, Nurkic is the guy. He's he's uh, like to, to play play with people. Yeah, but he's he's kind of um, it's volatile a, himself. Yeah, like well, so is Rondo. Uh, yeah, but Rondo. I mean, like nothing. No, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying this because I don't know Rondo at all. But he acts like nothing actually gets to him, whereas that's fair. We've we've seen Nurkic get things get to him, but I think Evan Turner is probably and the the one. But anyway, I think here's but where I'm going with this is like. Um, the Bucks are a newly disciplined team. The, this discipline is new to them, and so I think it could crack uh, under the right circumstances. I don't think like they're suddenly never gonna, you know, go back to bad habits again. So uh, I think I don't that think bad habits as much as it was bad coaching and bad play, and play, bad play design. Well, I mean, yeah, but they didn't learn anything that you know, and they they now have a good coach who has a plan that he's instituting. But, like, you don't just, like, flip the switch and never make a mistake again or never crack again. Um, and I, I just think that um, they're, they're still young. They're still learning all these new plays and all the new things that Budenholzer is implementing. 
And so I think there may be some way to take advantage of that by throwing in, you know, like I said, a couple tricks, um, you know, I'm not going to say it, but you know, pouring a glass of water. No, I'm just totally kidding. That would never, ever happen. We would never, Spills. never condone that. Get it. Run into me, run into me. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's new and exciting. They're playing great, but it's also new. So there is a, a possibility. This possibility of silver lining. Sure. There's a possibility. Sure. There's, 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 well, you got to try everything. Oh, no, because there's, there's, it, this is one game, Tara. You don't in the NBA in an 82 game season. You don't, you don't try everything. Because you, you oh, I see what you're saying. You don't put it all on. Like you have limited scouting. Time. You wait till the so, second time they play them. And even then, you, you don't show everything because then there's tape of that. So you, you see more generic stuff in the regular season. But even more than that, Giannis is such a unique player that you have to play basic. Like it, it's 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 the same thing in in a sport like the NFL. When you have a a guy who's a superior athlete that you game plan around, there are guys like if you take uh, a Tyreek Hill in the NFL, who's maybe the fastest player in the league's history. He's so fast that you can't not have somebody over the top covering him in every single play because when he touches the ball outside, he's a threat to take it to the house every time. Giannis is that same kind of guy. You have to play very vanilla. You have to play very basic. And what the Bucks are taking advantage of are people trying to get cute with things. Um, so in my mind, at least, take away everything else because that's easier to take away. It, it, it's, it's, it's a much simpler calculus to take away the other guys than it is to take away one of the three best players in the league right now. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I just have this feeling that that's not what's going to happen. Play <laughs> a wild card here. This on paper is a nightmare fueled matchup for Yusuf Nurkic, because even though Brook Lopez does play in the paint, he's stepping out. And no, he's not much. I mean, they got him because he's shooting threes now. He's shooting six threes a game. God, that's a lot. Yeah, for a guy Jeez. that didn't shoot threes a couple years ago. Come on, Nurkic, step it up. Right? Well, he's shooting three a game. <laughs> I know, I know, and he didn't. He made he made one at least one this week. He's got two, two on the year. Yes, I think he's two for eleven. Um, Good job, buddy. Yeah, but it's gonna be a tough night for him. Both like where he's gonna have to cover on the. Well, it's gonna be a tough night for everybody. It is, but I think in particular for him because if he gets in foul trouble, who comes out there? Zach. Okay. What if Zach's had a little bit of an issue with fouls lately? He's he's dropped his arms a few times and gotten himself in trouble. Okay, now you're going to go with Swanigan or Myers? There's a shortage of guys, and this is something we've harped on really for the last couple of years, and with Harkless out, this is even more so. There is a shortage of guys on this team who are long enough to cover a lot of the guys the Bucks have. Giannis is seven foot tall. Chris Middleton is six eight, six nine. Brooks a seven footer. Ilyasova is a seven footer. Tony Snell is six eight. John Henson is seven foot tall. Well, it's going to be a good big night for Jake Lehman. You may see extended minutes for Jake. He's long. Yeah, I mean, the only guys on this team for the Bucks that are are little are like Bledsoe, Patty, Dovadova, and like Sterling Brown. <laughs> but I mean, everybody else is like six six or taller. Yeah, this is this is the well, biggest, longest team in the league, and it's going to present a lot of problems for Portland. I, yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. I, I don't look at this in like, like it's all doom and gloom. Certainly, the Blazers can find a way to win this game if they because like we're talking about all this three point shooting. The last two games, the Blazers from three have been god awful. 
Like, yeah, they're due for a good one. So that's that's the way they can counteract this. If they have a breakout game from three, that's how they can really open this up. Yeah, they're allowing a lot from they're they're allowing a lot from three, and the Blazers aren't generally taking a ton from three. So um, it would be nice to see if they step up their uh, how much. Well, the Bucks, you know, if they if they take extras, the Bucks defense is the fourth best in the league, uh, three point percentage defense. They're only allowing teams to shoot 32%, and that kind of goes back to their length again. But I tell you what, if the Blazers do somehow figure out a way to win this game, that, I think, says more about this team than a loss will. Okay. I can, I can live with that. I can live with that. I, think it's, I, think, I hope it's a good game, and I hope it's a, uh, I hope it's a valiantly fought effort, and I would love it if the Blazers come out on top. But, boy, those bucks are really good. and. Mm-hmm. They're going to be super hard. Clippers, I can't even remember who's on the team anymore. <laughs> It'll be interesting to watch. I don't want to go into it because we're running short on time. But just remind me, who's on the team besides Lou Williams? You've got Tobias Harris. You've got Gallinari. Uh, the the Boban. Oh, yeah. Is, is the Bobby and Toby. Or, yeah. <laughs> Boban is out there doing things. The Bobby and Toby show. They, I mean, if you look at the West right now, the Kings are six and four, and the Clippers are five and four, and they're up on the T Wolves right now. Yeah. So I mean, they they've got some guys. Uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, uh, rookie, a kid that I got to see at, at Hoop Summit two years ago, is a stud player. Avery Bradley has been in and out of the lineup. They, they remember they they have Emba Mute. All right, they got him back. Yep, Patrick Beverly, a guy who has been a and he's back, and he's been a nightmare for Dame in the past as far as like yeah. just being a complete jerk. I think it's going to be a good game for Dame because they didn't because Beverly game. got hurt early and Dame never really got to finish, you know, the the season against him. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that'll be a, that'll be a really good rematch. Um, but otherwise, they don't think they play again until like Saturday or Sunday. So they go from having five games in seven nights to like two and six or something. A weird schedule, but oh, yes. it often is. Thank God. <laughs> Things are slowing down a little bit, but at least for now. And then they take off on that big road trip. Yeah, I mean, they, this, 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 these next few games, Bucks, Clippers, Celtics, like that's it's not an easy stretch by any Yeah, that's, that's going to be tough. That, those are, and I, I think you're right. Those are three games that are going to tell us a lot about the team, and I'm feeling better about their capabilities than I have in a long time. And, I, you know, I always felt like, you know, they always had a chance, but um, I feel like this year they're even more fun to watch along with having a chance. <laughs> so some, somehow it just makes it a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, but we better wrap it up here. Uh, let's see trying to think of if there's any other big blazer news out there no i think we just made it through that really busy week and we're just taking a a breath and we'll um get started with a busy november oh programming note since every weekend in november and the first weekend in december uh our sunday games we are going to record on mondays instead so we don't have to stay up until like four o'clock in the morning um although we love all our listeners so much I don't think anybody wants to be around us if we're up that late and losing sleep doing the podcast. What do you think? I'm up that late anyways, but you have a normal work life. So yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to be around me. No, I, I, we get done filming and like post-show and all the rap stuff. That's I, like, I don't get home till on a game night, like 1130 midnight. So 
Yeah. Okay, that's another bingo card for people who have the bingo card about Dan complaining about his hours oh. because of his awesome job. Okay. Yeah, I'm calling you on it. It is, it is an awesome job, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so I am, uh, you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can also follow my other podcast at Hoops and Talks, which will, we had just had one come out last week with an interview with the women who co founded The Relish. It was awesome, super fun to talk to them, and I'll have another one coming out in a couple weeks. And I think that about covers it for me. Dan, why don't you tell people where they can find you? All right, folks, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere else, social media, at DMarang, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G, and on every game day, pre- and post-show on NBC Sports Northwest with Joe Simon, Shane Brennan, and myself on the Blazers Outsiders pre- and post-game show. Uh, we do have some cool stuff coming up here in the wintertime. We are getting kicked out of our studio uh, for a good reason. Uh, NBC local affiliate KGW has their Toys for Tots deal and it literally fills up a warehouse size room where we film the show. So we're going to take the trip on the road um, coming to a couple different, I think, uh, watering holes. So uh, hopefully I'll have some information on that in the next coming weeks and we'd love to see you guys, girls and everybody else out there with us. Um, it'll be a, a live show if you guys have seen like Talking Ball when they do uh, or when they did um, like live hits from the Blitz or places like that. So um, something cool to look forward to. Other than that, uh, that's pretty much it. Sarah, you got any parting, parting thoughts? No, but that sounds like fun. And you know, when I would ever, when I would be there where they were uh, filming it, I was always like too starstruck to go up and say hi. And now I know you, <laughs> so I can go up and say hi without worrying about that at all. The other thing I will say is that um, that's an awesome way to use your studio, filling it with the toys for tots. Um, and maybe when they clear it out, they will clear out those chairs and bring in full-size chairs for you once you move back in. It's not the size of the chair. It's the height of the chair. That, well, that's what I mean. You look like yeah. you're sitting on, in the outsiders, you look like you're sitting at the kitty table. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly painful. <laughs> so the it's People a perfect place for those chairs. Yes, yes. Uh, but other than that, folks, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. And as always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, hit up Terror Eye on Twitter. Um, we love getting listener questions, so make sure you hit us up there, and we'll catch you next week. 